um, I wanted to ask you, what is, what was this, oh, you know, over this two-week period or so that we had for Christmas break, what was the most um, worthwhile thing that you did, either as an individual as, or as a family? What's the most worthwhile thing what, that you did together? Anyone? Go ahead. This is your time. We, see, we turned up the lights. Not just so you could read. Those of you who have older eyes, it's also so you could talk. What's the most worthwhile thing you did over this last, uh, last couple of weeks? I'm sorry? Pray? Yes, ma'am. Pray. What else? Yeah, made some fun memories together. Yep, yep. Awesome. Yeah, sang and played instruments together. Not all families can do that. But uh, certainly the Robinsons can. <laughs> That's awesome. What else? Went back to work. Went back to work. Yes, yes. Yep. Yep, that's been a, been a long time coming. Glad to hear that. That's good. We've been praying for you guys for that. That's good. What else? Anything? I tell you, we made, as Brenda was talking, you know, we, I like to, um, with our family, we like to um, talk a lot about the things that we enjoy because, well, if you, anybody reads C.S. Lewis much, um, he says that it's, it's, in, it's in the praising, it's in the remembering that there's actually kind of the fulfillment of the joy, right? There's, it's one thing to experience it, but then um, whenever you go back and you, and you praise that thing that, that you did, that's actually the completeness of joy. And he uses that, of course, to talk about our enjoyment in God. But um, one of the things that we did as, as we, we uh, were traveling in our car yesterday to have our, our last Christmas with, our, with, with my family, um, we were traveling, and, and I said, what did you all, you know, what's the, what's the best memory you had? And we had all kinds of them. We, had, we did a lot of different things this, this, this Christmas. But one of the most worthwhile things that we did was um, before the break, before Christmas, um, we went over and just took a meal over to Mildred Levitt. And we sat in her dining room, and we laughed, and we ate together, and we ate good food, and, uh, and we laughed together, and we shared some stories together, and it was a wonderful, beautiful time, you know? And uh, one of my favorite memories that from this Christmas, it wasn't extravagant. Um, it was delicious, actually, the lasagna, which is one of Brenda's, you know, uh, signature dishes. But anyway, it was really good, and we had a really great time together. Um, but, I, um, you know, it, this is a time of year that everyone stops and, and does New Year's resolutions. And um, I was reading on the Internet, and so, of course, it must be true, um, that, there, that 95% of New Year's resolutions fall apart before the month of January is up. Isn't that funny? 95%. Um, I, I tell you, and, and this is a time of year that, what, you know, most people want to, what, they want to lose weight or they want to save money or they want to pay off debt. Those are all good things right? We would all agree those are really good things. But sometimes we get caught up in the things that are temporary and we lose sight of the things that are really, really, truly worthwhile. Yeah? It's very simple. And we're, you know, I don't know, you, have you ever been shopping with a two or three-year-old? Um, we're like that. You know, you go into Walmart or a department store, especially those places that have the little round clothing still deals. You know, kids love to go up in there and hide. And, and uh, if you're not watching them, what? They'll wander off, right, if you're not watching them. And we're kind of the same way. We, we have a very short attention span, and sometimes we get fo so focused on playing hide-and-seek that, we that we've forgotten that, oh, my goodness, I've, I've lost my mother, <laughs> you know. Uh, but but we, get the, we get focused like that. And it's important this time of year 
You know, Brent and I were talking about, um, we don't really like to do New Year's resolutions. We call them unresolutions. Although if we still commit to do something, I guess that's still maybe a New Year's resolution. But anyway, we'll save that for another time. Um, but the things that we do, you know, the things that you commit to do, the things that we look back and decide that we want to do better, let's make sure they're worthwhile. Amen? Let's make sure that they're, they're worth our attention and they're, and they're worth our while. And I wanted to talk about some of that this morning. Um, because Jesus said some just incredible stuff in John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in John chapter 14, beginning in about verse 10. Um, and we're going we're gonna to get to talk together today some, some things this morning about Jesus, some things that Jesus said that were worthwhile, some things that he said that were worth our attention, or work, worth our focus in our life. And so John chapter 14, I'd say uh, John chapters uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, absolutely my favorite passages in all of scripture they're just incredible you get so much of well okay I'm, i won't go on and on we'll we'll just jump in here um i'm going to back up just a little bit in verse eight i probably don't i don't have this for the overhead but I, this is where clay started here just a moment ago in verse eight philip is is addressing the lord because jesus here's the deal this is this is the night before jesus this is the night of jesus betrayal this is the night before the, the night before he'll be crucified and he's trying to tell, he's trying to just download, and you could just tell, man, he's just pouring out teaching and wisdom and comfort to his disciples, and he's telling them, man, you guys can't bear this, but I'm just going to pour, I'm going to tell you all that I can, and he prays for them, and he prays for us, and he prays for himself. But anyway, in, in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, uh, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you, know, you do know him, and you have seen him. In verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus, a little bit exasperated here, answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen the Father, has, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? There, Jesus Christ, again, again, and again, and again in the Scripture, saying, I and the Father are one. I am in Him. He and is me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amazing, because we learn from other passages of Scripture in John chapter 1 and Colossians and other places, Hebrews chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is the image, the revelation of the Father. He's the God that we can see. Amen? The God in, in flesh. But anyway, we're going to move past that this morning because we talked about the last, the last in, a lot in December. Anyway, in the middle of verse 10, the words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone, let, 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 tell you what, let me stop in verse 11 and just talk about that for just a minute. Um, there is, uh, b believe me when I say that I'm in the Father, the Father is me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles. What does he say there? If you don't believe what I'm saying, look at what I've been, what? Doing. Look at what I've been doing. And he said, by the evidence of the miracles, you will see that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Yeah, he says, look at the evidence of the miracles. That word miracles, translated in NIV, is the word ergon in, in Greek. And it's mentioned several times in this passage. And John loves it. John uses it more than any of the other gospel writers. But he, he refers to this work that Jesus was doing over and over again. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing if you think about it. He's talking about this work, or if I may extend it a little bit, this masterpiece of activity that Jesus is doing on the earth. And Jesus says over and over again, 
I'm here to do my Father's work. My meat is to do the work of Him who sent me and to finish His work. And at the end, he would say, my work is finished. Um, And over and over again, he's building this body of work. And one of the things, whenever Jesus is talking to the Pharisees one time, he tells them, if you don't believe in me, at least believe in the miracles. And that miracles here in John, in John 14, and in John chapter 10, where he's talking to the Pharisees, that word work, or that word miracles, is the word ergon, which can mean works, or in this case, really amazing works, right? Miraculous works. Uh, and he says, if you don't believe in me, believe in the words that I'm teaching you, believe in the miracles, believe in the work that I've been doing. We're going to talk about the different kind of work that Jesus did, but here's the deal. Jesus did works that no one else has ever done and no one else will ever do on earth. True? And he says, believe in these things. When John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for? What did he say? The blind see, the lame walk. Right? No one's ever done miracles like this before. There have been miracles recorded in all of Scripture, but it's never been like this. It was never like this where one man was just daily almost getting up and, and bringing healing and, and release from, from, from uh, demons and healing from physical illnesses over and over again. And he says, believe at least in the evidence of the miracles. Um, and then he says in verse 12 something that is profound, something that is flooring, something uh, amazing. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Okay, that's big enough, isn't it? But then he says, he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and, wh- and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The flooring part of this passage is that Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will what? Do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Even greater things than these. Um, and um, at the, in the middle of verse 12, he says, I, he, um, he, will, he will do what I have been doing. He will be doing the works that I have been doing. There's that word ergon again. He, he, will continue, he will do the works that Jesus did. So here's the deal. Let me just, t- let me just tell you just a few things about the, what Jesus was doing. What's he talking about his work? What is he talking about his work? Obviously, he's talking here about some of the miraculous things, but there was other things that Jesus did. In John chapter 5, he healed an invalid, and, and he calls that work. In John chapter 9, he healed a blind man, and he calls that work. In John chapter 6, he fed 5,000 people, and he called that work. In John chapter 4... Um, he taught about himself. In John chapter 4, he taught a lost and sinful Samaritan woman that he was the one that she'd been looking for her whole life. In John chapter 6, he taught this. He said, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. In other words, the work of God is to believe in me. And here in John chapter 14, look with me in verse 10. He says, the words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Okay, here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Whenever he was doing incredible, miraculous, extravagant miracles, whenever he was doing all of those things, it was always with a message either to the people who were being healed or the people who were surrounding or very privately, oftentimes with just his disciples, that they might see and believe who he was. And Jesus used those things to reveal himself. Here's the incredible thing about Jesus' healing ministry, about Jesus' deliverance ministry from, from, from evil, from, from uh, uh, demons, was that all the time he was teaching and revealing himself to say, 
I am the one. I am, like we sang just a moment ago, I am the deliverer. I am the one who was promised. I am the one who has come. And he was teaching and showing people all the while, I'm the one. And he showed by the power of God working in him that he was the one. Um, There's something, whenever you see Jesus Christ being revealed who he was, it's the work of God. Amen. It is God saying to people around them, I am showing you my redemption. I am showing you, I'm revealing to you how you might have salvation. I'm showing you how you too might be delivered from your sin. How you might be released from your guilt forever. And it is by following and knowing Jesus Christ. Right? All right. So let me, let me, uh, let me, let me say this. Whenever we see the work of God, whenever we see Jesus Christ at work, sometimes... Oftentimes, it's miraculous, but it's not always. It's not always. There were times that he just appeared to someone like the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he just taught her about himself. He said, you're thirsty, and you keep going to men, and you keep coming to this well, and he's drawing a parallel between her coming and being thirsty and drinking from the well and her life of pursuing man after man after man. And he says, all the while, what you're looking for is me. It wasn't miraculous, it was just teaching. And in John chapter 14, verse 10, he says, The words that I speak that are not my own, it is the work of my Father. Just the teaching of Jesus Christ was, is his work, and it is significant, and it is divine. Here's the deal. Whenever Jesus Christ is revealed, what I, I, I can't draw a big enough picture for you here, so forgive me, but the plan of God throughout all time, before the world existed, was to bring about the salvation and the redemption of mankind by sacrificing himself, okay? Before the world existed, this was God's grand scheme that he would show himself to all the world, to every man, woman, and child, that he is the hero, the redeeming one, the saving one, the gracious one, the merciful one. He would show himself to be that. And so whenever we have something like this happen in John chapter 14, it's a glimpse behind the curtain to say, this is what it's all about. This is significant. This is important. This is the direction that the entire universe is running is to reveal Jesus Christ and his justice and his mercy and his love and his grace toward his creation. It's amazing and incredible stuff. And there is, okay, I'm going to get wound up here a little bit. Forgive me. There is nothing that can stop it. God will carry out his plan. He will do all that he said and and there will be nothing that can stop him. There will be nothing that can stop him. And whenever we see Jesus Christ being revealed, it's a peeling back of the curtain and us getting a glimpse to see the glory that is our God and our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so let me jump up and down. When you take part in something that reveals Jesus Christ, listen to me, it is eternally significant. Do you hear what I'm saying? It is, when, whenever you do something in your life that reveals Jesus Christ, it is eternally significant. It is important. It is of paramount importance. It is the most important thing that you and I will do in our lives is to reveal Jesus Christ to others, to reveal Jesus Christ to our children, to our families, to our coworkers, to our classmates, to people around us, to children that you teach, to youth that you teach. The most important thing that you and I can do is to reveal Jesus Christ because it's peeling back and it's showing the work of the Father and the plan that he's had all along and the way that the universe is being directed to go according to his plan and his sovereignty. 
I, I know I talk in big picture all the time. I'm really sorry. But this is important for you and I to get. This is important for you and I to see. When you reveal Jesus Christ to someone, even in a very simple way, it is eternally significant. Do you hear me? Do you understand? Um, let me give you a few examples. When you love and teach children, and you teach them about God, even in very simplistic ways, because it's only simplistically that they can understand, that matters. When Amber or you guys work in our nursery, and you love on those children, and you provide an environment for them that's loving and teaching and, and growing and nurturing them in the faith, that matters. When Clint and Jennifer and some of the rest of you who've helped out with our youth, when you teach them about how their faith can mature along with their little maturing bodies, that matters. When, when some of you when, you, when the Robinsons or when others of you have helped lead worship and led this group of people into praise and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, that matters. When, when you guys serve our church body in countless dozens of ways, cleaning or secretarying or whatever, or bringing a meal for a family member uh, uh, here in the church, that matters. Whenever the men get together on Wednesday nights and we pray for our families and for our church and for each other, that matters. When the ladies come together and they fellowship and they eat together and they pray together and they serve together, that matters. When, when, when some of you uh, have the opportunity to teach and to open the scriptures and to tell other people how to live by them, that matters. Whenever you care for people who are in nursing homes or people who are on their own or people who don't have much family and you take time and spend with them or you buy something for them that you can't afford, that matters when you give your money to support the local church and missions and outreach, that matters. When some of you give to support missions directly or you give your money to feed and educate children overseas, you get it, yeah, you, you kind of get the theme I'm running with here. That matters. It is eternally significant. And when you... Uh, when you tell your classmate or you tell your children or you tell a coworker what Jesus Christ has done in your life and what you've found in him, you're revealing Jesus Christ to them, that matters. Amen? It is eternally significant. It is, it is in keeping with all that God has planned. It is, reveal, it is taking what Jesus Christ and what God started before the beginning of the world and you're peeling it back for people and say, don't be caught up in the temporary. Let me tell you the significance of what's going on here. Jesus Christ loves you and he died for you and he paid the price for you that you might be redeemed, that you might be bought back from your sin and that matters and every single little thing that you do that reveals Jesus Christ or supports the ministry that reveals Jesus Christ it matters amen listen the good works that you do in your home or here at Calvary or privately or at your work or in your in your school, those good works 
They matter. They are eternally significant. Now, you and I may look at those things and say, ah, it's no big deal. Ah, it's such a little thing. Ah, it's such a small thing. Jesus Christ, one time in John chapter 4, he goes and he waits at a well. And he sit and wait for a woman. And it's a divine appointment. And he talks to that woman about her deepest need. And in that exchange, he ends up leading an entire village to come to know him. There was nothing miraculous about it. He didn't pull out his divinity and said, watch this, right? He simply shared himself, revealed himself to this woman who was looking for something that she could never find any other place. What you do, the good works that you do, is eternally significant. It matters. Okay. Which kind of comes to the point, uh, first point of the sermon. Sorry, that was a long introduction, wasn't it? But here we go. God has created you to be a part of something significant. Amen? He has created you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Amen? We are all caught up, and, and whether you know it or not, even the lost are caught up in this, and they'll, they'll show God's justice one day. Um, oh, goodness. Um, but anyway, but, but you and I who get it, you and I who understand it, we are part of something much greater than ourselves. And when you love each other, and you reveal the love of Jesus Christ to one another, when you serve each other, when you do something for someone that is unexpected, uh, it matters. It's, it's significant. It is what you and I were created for. Um, I was reading a little bit on, I've been reading a lot of uh, Charles Spurgeon here lately. Good British guy, wouldn't he? Kathy, yes. Yeah, all right. And he... he, he uh, I was reading a little bit of uh, Spurgeon. You know what? And I can't remember where I was going with that. We'll just skip that. But anyway, here's, here we go. Um, I want you to look with me in verse 12 again. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have be do- been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Can I tell you? You remember in, in, the, in the Gospels, you remember when Jesus told his disciples, let's get in the boat and go across to the other side of the lake. And you remember what happened? There was a terrible storm. And the disciples were afraid that they were going to drown. And they said, Lord, you know, you know we're going to drown here. And he rebukes the storm. And what's he tell them? You of little faith. Why were you afraid? And they, didn't, and he, they were all too scared to talk back. But I might have said, well, I don't know. It looked like we were going to drown, right? But, but anyway, they, they were wise not to, to, you know, to hold their tongue. Uh, but, but when Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, you're going to the other side of the lake, right? When Jesus says that he's prepared a place for you and he's ordained that, then there's a place for you, right? When he says, I've bought back your sin uh, and I've forgiven you, when we stand before the Father, our sin's been bought. It's been taken care of, right? When he says here that those who believe in me will do what I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these, what do you think is going to happen? God's work is ordained by him, and it will continue through you and me. It will continue on, and I tell you, it is certain. Not because you and I are such great folks, not because you and I have it all together, but because it is through the power and the, and the, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit whom he's left with us, and his works will be done on earth, and it will happen through people unexpectedly like you and me, all right? Now, here's the, here's the thing. Sometimes you believe more in your failures 
and your temptations and you sin and your sin, then you believe in, in God. It's true, isn't it? You believe sometimes more strongly in the power of temptation and your failures than you do in the power of God sometimes, don't you? Uh, yeah, and it's a shameful thing, honestly, isn't it? Here's the deal. When God says it's going to happen, temptation cannot stop it. Evil cannot stop it. It is going to happen. Your temptations and your failures and your lack of spiritual maturity will not stop the power and the authority and anything that God has ordained is going to happen. Amen? He will carry out his works in us in the most unlikely people. He loves that, doesn't it? Doesn't he? He loves to carry out his work in the most unlikely of people. Uh, and he loves to do it in people who are very simple. Very simple in their faith, very simple in their actions, very simply following what he's called them to do. Yeah? And it is certain he will do it. And I'm telling you this morning that despite your old nature, despite your sinful nature, despite your spiritual weakness, despite your surroundings, despite your temp temptations, despite the oppositions of the enemy, God has ordained, here's a quote from, uh, from Spurgeon, God has ordained that we should walk in good works and, we will, and walk in them we shall, sustained by his Holy Spirit. We will walk in good works. We will accomplish them and it will be done by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, here's the deal. Whenever you think it can't happen through me, you have just said, I believe in the power of God of, of my sinful nature more than I believe in the power of God. You don't really believe that. You know and believe that light, that, 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 that the power of God is greater than any power on the earth. It is greater than the power of darkness. It is greater than the power of fear in you. It is greater than the power of temptation in, in you. The power of God is greater than all of these things. Amen? You don't believe in those things more than you believe in the power of God. Right? So whenever you say, I can't do it, or whenever you say, it must be that God's going to use someone else, when you feel like maybe he's called you to do something, let me suggest something to you. Perhaps he's called you to do something. Amen? And the only certainty that we have that it's going to happen is that it's got to be him. Can I tell you, as a, as a pastor, sometimes I get called to do things that I'm really terribly uncomfortable with. I'll, I'll just tell you, there, there's several times that I walk into something and, and there's sometimes I can walk in something with really great confidence. Maybe it's something I've really, really worked hard at, really studied or, or, or something. And usually whenever, I'm, I, whenever things go like that, it's like, uh, it doesn't really work out that great. But whenever I'm called to something that I just have to get down on my knees and say, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what words I can use to bring comfort or wisdom here. But I'm just going to show up because, well, I'm supposed to. <laughs> and two, I believe you're going to do something here. And can I tell you, when, whenever things go like that happen to me, every time it is miraculous, the things that God has done. I, I, I just, I, I can't tell you enough about it. It is incredible the things that he's done. And it's not because I'm so smart. It's not because I'm so wise. It's not because, because I'm such a good follower. It's because he's ordained that good works will happen and he's going to involve me in it. Incredible. Amazing, isn't it? So listen, you have confidence in the Lord God. Amen. You have confidence in him that he will accomplish his works through you. His good works he will accomplish through you. And when you say, I can't, you're saying, I believe in the power, <laughs> uh, some other power greater than him. And, and that's just blasphemy. Okay, last thing is this. God's works are all for him. 
here, Jesus told this parable. He said in, in Matthew 25, we're going to do this really quickly and we're going to wrap up. In Matthew 25, verses 30 through 40, he said just some of this incredible parable. He says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the angels will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and his goats on the left. There sure is a lot of talk about separating sheep and goats and wheat and tares in the scriptures for there not to be a hell. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. Uh, There's some people who've come to that, you know, realization. Oh, there must not be a hell. Well, I I don't know. Jesus said more about it than any other teacher in all of the scriptures. But okay. Uh, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I want you to notice about all those things. There is nothing miraculous here. He said, you people were like salt and light. You took care of the hungry. You took care of the sick. You visited people who were in prison. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. Very simple work. Amen? Very simple work. Just people just being salt and light. Right? And he said, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will, will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here's the incredible thing. Whenever you and I do something for someone else, it is ultimately for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a bizarre thing, but God says, our God says, unlike other gods who says, you must worship me, you must adore me, not that God doesn't say that, but he doesn't say, you must make sacrifice for me. He says, you want to do something for me? You do something for these folks. You do something for the down and outs. You do something for the people who have been forgotten, the people who have been left behind. You do something for the little ones. You do something for the helpless. You do something for the widows and the orphans, and it's like you're doing it for me. Amen? Here's the great thing about this. I'm going to say this, and then I promise we're going to close. It's frustrating sometimes in ministry, isn't it? it ministry can be some of the fr- most frustrating work, Right? We may do something for someone, and we may feel like we've really blessed them, and we may have seen zero results from it, you know? It happens all the time. Sometimes you may do something for someone, and they hate you for it. It just happens like that. Here's the thing to remember. We're not doing it just for them. We're doing it out of love for them, but we're doing it mostly out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're doing it for him because it is all about him. Amen? Amen. All right. Listen. I, uh, I thank God, I was, as I was preparing the sermon, I just, I just started thinking about all the things that I know that you guys do, and there are dozens of things that I don't know that you do. And I just thank God, as I was preparing this, I just started thanking God for all the things that I know that you guys do that are eternally significant. The things that you get, you know? The things that you know are important. And I want to remind you this morning, the things that you do matter. The things that you do are eternally significant, even the smallest thing. You remember Jesus also said, if you give a cup in my name, it won't go without reward. The smallest action of faith and service 
won't go without notice from your heavenly Father. And one day when he goes to separate the, the sheep and the goats, he'll say, come in, I've prepared a reward for you. Woo, amazing, incredible. If it were in the scriptures, it'd be hard to believe. But anyway, what you're doing, it matters. And I don't want you to lose sight of it. I don't want you to be frustrated in, in your ministry. I want you to carry on with what you're doing and keeping the perspective, this matters. Amen. Would you stand with me? We'll pray together and be dismissed. Let's see. Tim Johnson, would you mind praying for us?